3: Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. You might not be able to control the events in your life, but you can control your responses to the events. According to today's guests, Steve and Tracy Webster, what you think is what you become. They say the good news, or for some people, the bad news, is that you have created the life you are currently living. Steve and Tracy are the authors of the book, The Law of Creation, The Science Behind Manifesting Your Desires. Welcome, Steve and Tracy. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks, Joan. Lovely to be
0: here. Hi, Joan. Great to be here.
3: So, Tracy, let's begin with you. How did you and Steve get started doing this type of work?
4: Well, um, it was many years ago. (laughs) Um, We were first introduced uh, to the law of um, attraction with the movie The Secret, and that's where it began. Um, However, it never took uh, root until recently. And the shift became when I started to understand the science behind how it all works. Before knowing the science, it was just all woo-woo and something that uh, you have to have faith in. Understanding the science gives you the tools to um, understand fully what is going on and how to do it and how to make it work.
3: So, Steve, you say that we have created the life we want. Can you explain the science behind the law of creation?
0: Absolutely. We're aware with the studies in quantum physics. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie called The Double Slit Experiment. I, I, if your uh, listeners have not seen that movie, it's a YouTube clip. Just go into Google and, and Google The Double Slit Experiment. Basically what it says is you, we think of ourselves as flesh and blood, blood and the world as physical, but it is anything but and the field of quantum physics explains that there is so much that we don't understand. Essentially, there's a field there, and we affect that field by observing it, by measuring it. So what you see and how you act and how you interpret what you see, you're affecting the quantum field. In that way, you're actually creating what you see. So if you can create what you see, you could. if, if you're not happy with your life, you can uncreate what you've seen and create something different, something that you desire. And the physics side is that, and I, I always hesitate here because uh, I think uh, when I listen to physics, I, I think, oh my goodness, that's, that's really long and laborious and I'm a visual person. I actually like to see it written down. But what happens is in the field, you've got all these electrons sitting and you need a half an electron, a mega electron volt to shift the electron from a, from a not moving state into a moving state. And that electricity comes from your heart and your mind.
3: So for someone who's sitting home right now saying, are you kidding me? I created this. What do you say to that person?
0: What you think is what you become. What's become things. Uh, the mystery of the quantum world is slowly being unraveled. And, uh, you know, the, the phenomena like the double-slip experiment prove that they're not physical and that everything is, is quantum.
3: Okay, so understanding the science behind it and, and how things work, Let's now put this into something tangible that people can do to enact change. So, Tracy, you write about universal laws. What happens when a person understands universal laws and puts them into practice?
4: Um, so, we've identified 18 universal laws of creation, and the law of attraction is one of those, as is the law of, of gratitude. And anybody that's um, uh, learned anything about this field um, already has some understanding of both of those, the gratitude and, and attraction. Um, one of the um, uh, uh, big, two of the biggest laws that affect us is the the law of reverse action, and the law of association. At the end of the day, we people don't manage to create the, the, their desires because they have. We all have a homeostasis, where where we uh, believe we should be. And it's all based on our beliefs. And the beliefs are stored in our subconscious. So the law of reverse action dictates that any idea, vision or concept that resides in your subconscious will manifest and will override any conscious idea, vision or concept, if that is different to what is in the subconscious. And from the time we are in the womb and born, um, messages are being accepted and received by our subconscious and creating associations. And if we have a belief in there, in the subconscious, that we are not good enough to be um, a, a millionaire, we will always bring ourselves back to our, our, our homeostasis, that we, our beliefs within our subconscious. And the law of association, um, um, is our perception of the world is affected by our experiences, or rather by our reaction to our experiences. And this programs our subconscious. In order to change our lives, we need to change our associations to our experiences and to create a new subconscious program. And you're able to do this and access your subconscious by using all the uh, universal laws of creation. Um, And and again, uh, coming back to gratitude, gratitude is probably one of the most powerful because it it has the ability to combine um, and affect all the universal laws together.
0: John, may I add, we've, we've just been explaining that the world is quantum. It's not the physical world that we see. And another really important law is the law of vibration. So everything is energy vibrating, every cell in your body, every atom in your body, every atom in the universe. But the universe doesn't hear what you're asking for. It doesn't understand language. It feels the vibration of what you are asking for. Because everything's energy vibrating at a unique resonance, the universe will offer matching outcomes based on that um, resonating vibrational frequency so the book tries to teach you hey you know law of attraction doesn't work all right why are you looking for another book in terms of law of attraction if the other ones that haven't helped you before the whole difference here is that we explain how you need to talk to the universe and it's not what you've been doing so far
3: because we operate about 95 percent of the time from our subconscious before we can have success with any of this, does it require us becoming mindful of the way we're living and what we're thinking?
0: It absolutely does. Um, only a piece of the book is, is about the law of attraction, because once you've explained the laws and how it works, the other part is how to improve yourself, how to reach optimism, how, how to remove self-doubt, how to improve yourself completely, and virtually how to move from your conscious mind to your subconscious mind. So when we were born, you're born, basically you have your subconscious mind that drives everything in your body. And then you start to realize your conscious mind takes over. And the conscious mind is, is the ego. And the more we go into ego, the more we get grown up, the more we receive uh, bad things in life, rejections, you name it, failures, the more we move into our conscious and we start defending ourselves. If we can move back to the subconscious, that's where the power is. That's where you're connected to your source. And that's the most amazing power that you have.
3: So it really requires us to rewrite the programming, and we can do that by practicing these laws.
0: 100%. So you're human. We, we've been taught human things, we've been taught ego things, and we're trying to undo that with the book by explaining, yes, if that's the path you want, by all means go down that path, but here's a really viable opportunity for you to change your programming, change your homeostasis, change how you think, reconnect with your subconscious, And from here on, have an amazing life.
3: Tracy, can you give our listeners one strategy that they can implement right now that can help them achieve what Steve just suggested?
4: For me, what's had the biggest impact on me is your focus in life. Um, There's always two ways to look at anything. There's a a positive way to look at something. There's a negative way to look at something. And that's because there's always something good in anything. Um, and if you can focus on the good of in anything, you can always find the gratitude, and you can always um, raise your vibrational level, and therefore start attracting something better. So for me, it's always what am I focusing on, and could there be a better thing to focus on? Could I find that the flip side of the coin that would make me my focus better? So. That's the the, the, the be-all and the end-all for me, and that's where I start to change the process within myself.
3: Steve, Tracy just mentioned energy vibration, and, and you did a few moments ago. For someone who may not be familiar with this, can you describe what it feels like when you're around someone who has a lower energy vibration?
0: You've probably met people that you think are energy vampires, that when you talk to them, they they suck the energy out of you. Alternatively, uh, if you have a look at what's going on in America at the moment, look, it's low vibrational activities. Look at the violence. Look at the politics. And those are the things that obviously you could get involved with if you wished. But if if those things don't attract you and, in fact, bring you down, then raising your vibration um, uh, uh, through all sorts of methods that we give you. But some of those, for instance, are you're probably familiar with a guy called Dr. Masaru Emoto, the Mm -hmm. Japanese scientist who performed experiments on water. Right. And on the water bottles, he, he would write words, uh, nice words and bad words, such as uh, you idiots, you know, or love and gratitude. Then he would freeze that water and he would analyze the crystal with an electron microscope. And the crystals that had came from water jars that had nice words like love, gratitude, formed perfectly formed crystals. This is the power of vibration. And on the other hand, the, the crystals that came from the jars that had the word you idiot on, for instance, formed really ugly crystals. So it's that vibration that it was receiving from a word on the jar that affected it. In the same way, our thoughts affect everything in our body. So it's your thoughts that you need to increase uh, in, in terms of what you just asked.
3: Steve, how does neuro-linguistic programming play into this?
0: Right. Your subconscious mind doesn't understand language. Your Conscious mind is is language, and so what happens is when you see things, so, so you receive input visually, auditory, gustatory, that input is all your conscious mind. That now has to be processed by the inner workings of your mind, which is a subconscious mind. In order to do that, your mind converts language and sight and sound into symbols and pictures, and that's how the subconscious works, with symbols and pictures.
4: That's where the um, the um focus thing comes in. When you focus on what you, uh, we all know that for the law of attraction, you will need to focus on what it is that you want, not on what you don't want. And it's a very simple explanation of that is when you're wanting to lose weight, you, your focus is, I want to be thin. It's not, I don't want to be fat. Because how do you send a picture to the subconscious of don't? You can't. <laughs> So the subconscious doesn't understand, I don't want to be fat. It only gets the picture of fat, and therefore it will create that. So that's why focus is so important. You, you need to find the flip side of the coin, the side of what you want, the positive um, spin on what you want, and, and focus on that, because then the correct picture gets sent to the subconscious.
0: So to summarize there, neurolinguistic programming is two things. It's, first of all, uh, reading people and understanding the signals that they're giving off and you're giving off. That's the one big side of NLP. But the other side is understanding how your conscious mind talks to your subconscious. Because if you know that, you can start um, sending the correct messages to your subconscious mind.
3: Tracy and Steve, you've been doing this work for some time. Can you share with us a story from either someone you've worked with or a personal story? about how what you're teaching has made an impact in that person's life.
4: So Joan, I'll share my story. Um, I had all this knowledge and I I knew it all in a a conscious, let's say in a conscious um, uh, level. It hadn't, I didn't have an aha moment which and for me an aha moment means where you suddenly um, resonate, you understand so clearly or um, what, what the words mean, that they become part of you and you start living it. Um, so while I had all this information, it hadn't made the, 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 the most drastic impact on my life. Um, and um, near, uh, at the beginning of this year, things were really difficult for us and, and for our daughters. And we, we were really having a, a difficult time. And once I started um, going through the law, uh, the law of creation, our book and um, uh, working on it, I had a number of um, aha moments where information just clicked. And um, it, I managed to change the focus, Over, which was almost overnight. I went from um, being depressed and really not even wanting to be here to finding all the um, uh, motivation and and enjoyment and excitement that I used to have for life. Um, and th- uh, my life has been completely different since then. And the biggest thing I can say that changed was my focus.
0: I can add to that. Um, the, we only published the book in April. Um, we, we both grew up not having money. Um, in fact, we, we, you know it's a bit of a sorry story. But later on, suddenly there was all this wealth. And people said to me, how did you attract this wealth? And I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And I tried to explain, you know, about gratitude and quantum physics. And some of the people got it and some of the people didn't. But then much, much, you have to keep on applying it, okay? It's not, you You, you don't run the program once and then leave it alone. You have to live the program. So for a while, we, we stopped practicing this and we, we got into a bad state. I wrote the frame of the book in, in uh, 2017. And then with Tracy being in such a bad way earlier this year, I dug out the draft and she read it and transformed herself. She also added pieces to the book that actually breathed life into the book. But that's another story.
3: And Steve, I just want to focus on one point that you made. People tend to become impatient. And when they try a program and they don't see immediate results, they tend to say, OK, this didn't work. Next. How long does it take before a person can see results?
0: There are many factors here um, and they're covered by the laws so let me give you one of those for instance it's the law of belief it's how deeply you believe something will manifest so we have a a, a diagram for instance in the book that shows you the typical curve of manifestation and it starts off with desire and the universe starts creating what you've desired and then what happens is you have uh, doubt so now it start, the curve starts going downwards. And then you get despair because, hold on a moment, what I've asked for is not materializing. But if you can keep that upward curve in terms of belief and just know that the universe is going to give you, plus with all the other tools that we explain, then it is certain. And the speed of that certainty depends on the complexity of what you've asked for.
4: I'm going to bring in a little bit more of the science. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, all probabilities, are already in existence. So technically, to manifest any one of the probabilities, it could happen instantaneously. But because we are human beings in a, in, a, in this universe um, um, that we've created, time is a is a very real factor for us. So we don't genuinely believe that we can be lose 40 pounds by, to, by tomorrow. Uh, it's not in our belief. We haven't seen that happen um, over and over again in order to believe it. So we have to, we are controlled by time. And therefore, um, how long we believe it will take is how long it's going to take for us. And you can speed up that process by um, understanding that the probability is already there and you um, just have to put the laws into effect. In order to bring it and make it a reality as opposed to just a possibility.
3: The book is The Law of Creation The Science Behind Manifesting Your Desires. If you'd like to get more information about Stephen Tracy, you can visit thelawofcreation.com or, as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com, which stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, check out my blog. And be sure to sign up for our mailing list. In our final moments, I'd like for each of you to leave our listeners with a takeaway. Tracy, let's begin with you.
4: Okie dokie. So you can carry on with your current life, how it is. Um, You can react to the things that you reacted to. Or you can choose to do things differently. And it really, really comes down to a choice. Um, And for most of us, unfortunately things have to get really bad in order to facilitate us to make that uh, change because the pain of staying the same has got to outweigh the pain of making a change. And what I'd really, really like to um, impart is that to make that change is really just a choice. It doesn't have to get too bad in order for you to make that choice.
0: And Steve? Um, For me, if you're happy with your life, you don't need to read the book. If you're not happy with your life, then what it's going to give you is an amazing bunch of tools to improve your life, to increase your vibration, uh, to start creating abundance, uh, change your circumstances, admit and that build, joy, establish purpose, anything and everything that you ever wanted. And as Casey said, it's all out there. You just have to vibrate at that level. And we teach you how to vibrate at that level.
3: Steve and Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you Hank, thank for you having John. us. Again. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to primohealthsolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best.
3: health. Joining me today is Dr. Katherine Berndorf, co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center, a treatment center in New York City for pregnant and new moms experiencing anxiety and depression. She specializes in treating women before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as at other times of transition in their lives. Dr. Berndorf is an associate professor of psychiatry at Cornell. She was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including the Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and CNN. Dr. Berndorf is co-author of the new book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood. She's here today to discuss perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. So, Doctor, we experience so many hormone changes and emotions when we're pregnant and after giving birth. What are perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, also known as PMADs? What I like to
5: say is PMADs or PMAD. Uh, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Perinatal means around, right? So around birth, around pregnancy. So before, during and after pregnancy. So that encompasses that whole time range and mood. And anxiety disorders is somewhat self-explanatory. Mood disorders are the depressive type disorders. And anxiety disorders are things like, you know, worry, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder. And it also includes things like OCD and PTSD. So there are many things included in this acronym, which I actually love because I I often say PMADS are, are the new PPD right postpartum depression used to be the only thing we had heard and thankfully we people started to hear that term because when I started doing this work no one even knew about that so, but PMADS are the new PPD and and the reason why I think it's so great to have this phrase that sort of catches a lot of things is because postpartum depression had people thinking, "Oh, it has to be in the postpartum and it's got to be depression." So if I feel anxious and I'm pregnant, I don't have it. So it was such a beautiful way, uh, you know, nomenclature is always so hard, but it and it's still not that easy, but at least it en- encompasses so much more that we don't get confused as confused with You know, depression or just postpartum. So it's much broader. Who gets these types of disorders and what causes them? Anyone can get them. Believe it or not, um, any woman who is, you know, pregnant or postpartum could have this. Now, there are certain people who are more likely. So those people who have a history of any kind of anxious or depressive disorders, anyone who's currently having an anxiety or depression um, while they're trying to get pregnant, while they are pregnant or in the postpartum is going to be more likely, right? If symptoms are present at the time of particularly at the time of, around conception, right? They are more likely to go on to be something worse um, or more deep. And I would say with family history. So if you know, a lot of women don't know what's happened in their family, and when they start to experience problems like this, they'll say, they, maybe they tell a sister or a mother and they say, oh, I had that too. But, but you may not have known. But so it's family history is quite important as well. If a
3: woman is at high risk, is there something she can do even before conceiving? Great question. Prevention is always great.
5: Now, you can't always prevent it, but again, if you are symptomatic and you haven't conceived, or if you have or otherwise, get help, right? The best thing you can do is to reach out and get and find help because if you treat these illnesses or treat symptoms, you know, you tend to be able to get them sooner. You might be able to do talk therapy or different kinds of treatments that are non pharmacologic. Once a disorder is really underway and, and, you know, you can sort of get behind the eight ball and then you are more likely to need a medication intervention, which again is, is perfectly reasonable and you want that as an option. But getting things, identifying, knowing that this ran in the family, I often see women who will come in and say, I don't have anything going on, but I want to talk about it now. What are the signs and symptoms of it so that if I start to see it, I'll know what to do?
3: If a woman is diagnosed, what can she do about it? Then, what would the treatment be?
5: Well, there are a variety of treatment options. So they range from, you know, like I said, non-pharmacologic interventions, and those are, you know, talk therapies. There are many different kinds: CBT, IPT, DBT. There are all these different acronyms that we use, but they are sort of short-term therapies that go after the issue and the symptoms at hand, and. Um, uh, then there are longer-term therapies, talk therapies, psychodynamic treatments, th- many different kinds of those, and there are also things like light therapy, and um, there are other, again, I keep differentiating these from non-pharmacologic interventions. There are, are uh, all different kinds of things you can do, but at a certain point, um or if you need to act more rapidly because the illness is more progressed you're often talking about medications and we i want to say very clearly that that many medications are considered relatively safe during pregnancy and postpartum right during pregnancy and breastfeeding so when if and when we need to go that route which is a lot of what i do as a psychiatrist is, to, is assessing the need for a medication or not we have a lot to choose from and that's a very interesting consultation with a woman and her partner often in thinking about how bad are the symptoms versus You know, what are the potential risks of medication? Because you have a risk no matter what when you're thinking about medications and you have a history of illness. You have the illness versus medication. That's how you think about it. And I wanted to just get that in because that's not something people often think about when they they get down the line of thinking medications might need to be an option for treating what they have going
3: on. Dr. Berndorf, thank you so much for being here with us. If you would like to get more information about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, or if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Berndorf and the Motherhood Center, you can visit themotherhoodcenter.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Berndorf, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Catherine. We'll be right back. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep, and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up, The loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com.
1: This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City.
3: Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Is there something wrong with your friendship, but you can't figure out what? Are you left wondering if everything is in your head? Unfortunately, toxic friendships happen to everyone, but we seldom pause to identify the underlying issues when we experience friendship breakup. Too often, we're left bewildered, and it's difficult to move forward. Joining us today to talk about ways to recognize relationships that may not be right for us is Mary Demuth, author of *The Seven Deadly Friendships*. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. So great to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, Mary, this topic—this is something that. Just about every one of us has dealt with at one point or another in our life. And, And I certainly have. I mean, I've had friendships that fell to the wayside and I have no idea why. So you have been through the same experiences and you know that pain that's associated with the loss of a friend. How have you personally been able to move past these relationships in order to trust and love someone again?
1: That's a great question, and I wish I could say that I'm so perfect at it now that I've written <laughs> this book, but it's still really hard. I mean, just to be honest, it's hard to get over it because I believe that we're made for relationship, and so when that relationship sours for whatever reason, um, it's it's a loss. It's a grief. Um, I think I'm better now as post-book at recognizing certain types of people that may not be good for me, um, but I've also... Been able to see some reconciliation over the years of some broken friendships, too, which was really heartening. Uh, I think for me, it's keeping my heart tender, and so that if that person comes back and we have a good conversation, it can actually reconcile instead of me being
3: angry about it. Well, and, and Mary, healthy relationships, they should bless us, they, they shouldn't drain us. So let's talk about what you believe are the seven deadly friendships. What are they, and what are the typical traits of each? So I based these on the
1: seven deadly sins that we find in Proverbs 6, and I realized that those, uh, those sins were relational in nature and connected to a trait. So the seven deadly friendships based on that are narcissist Nolan, so someone who is um, self-absorbed to a very large extent. Unreliable Uma, that's a fair-weather friend. Predator Paige, she's probably the most deadliest of the friends because she preys upon you. Uh, Conman Connor is someone who sees a relationship um, only in terms of money signs. So this is maybe the person who friends you on Facebook after years of never seeing them and wanting you to buy essential oils or something of that sort. Uh, Tempter Trevor is someone who causes you to violate your conscience. Sacred Fiona is someone you don't really know, you think you do, but she morphs into whatever situation she's in, so you're never quite sure who she is. And then Dramatic Drake, and that's just our dramatic friend who thrives on drama and seems to have to create drama in order to be happy.
3: So, Mary, what did you discover about these (laughs) friendships when you wrote about them?
1: Well, I I discovered that, um, first of all, that I'd had all seven, so that was kind of a bummer to find out. And that uh, some, there's a variance of degree of how you deal with these people. Um, I would not say that, oh, well, I have an irregular friend, so I need to break up with them. That's definitely not the heart of the book. In fact, every chapter we ask the question, hey, am I one of these people? Do I have some of these character traits? So it's not just looking at, oh, look at all these evil people outside of my door (laughs) and I'm the perfect one. It's that we all can have these. And um, so I've learned in the aftermath that sometimes it means we just have to have some honest conversations about things, misunderstandings. And sometimes it means we have to set up some boundaries, say, Hey, I can't stay in this relationship because of this. And that's okay.
3: And I think that's a really important lesson because, you know, we like to blame everything on other people. I mean, it's so easy for us to say this relationship broke up because of you, Mary, and I had nothing to Mm -hmm. do with it. So I think self-reflection is is really important to have this information and to see whether or not we see ourselves in any of these characteristics because, you know, you have to be a good friend to have a good friend. Exactly. And
1: I think I finished up the book. And as I've been listening to people's stories, um, and the aftermath of all of it, I'm learning that make choices every day to be the kind of friend we want to have,
3: you know, as as the words were leaving my lips, when I said you have to be a good friend, to have a good friend. Yes, that's truthful. But there are situations where you are a really good friend, and and you've done Mm -hmm. everything that you could possibly do, and still the friendship fails. So what did you learn about those situations?
1: Well, I'm um, one of those hanger-on-er friends. Mm -hmm. Me too. uh, (laughs) I will stay with you till death. Um, And so it's been hard. Usually it's someone else breaking up with me because I'm going to cling forever (laughs) to that relationship. (laughs) Uh, So what I've learned is that sometimes there are seasons of friendship, and I have become a lot more peaceful when I finally realized that, that there may be this friend in your life for four years, and it was a great friendship during that duration, um, but it just isn't serving its purpose anymore, and you both faded away, or maybe you moved away, or they moved away, or they went to different churches, or whatever reason it might be. You might be in a different life stage, um, you know, maybe they're sick, or maybe you're sick, or you know, there's all sorts of reasons, but to hold that lightly and to say, you know, it doesn't mean that it has to be so terribly awful. It can just simply be a friendship of attrition where it just kind of fades away and and you have to make your peace with it.
3: I spoke with with a man who wrote a book about relationships and he told me something that really stuck with me. And and it's something that I, I, I keep in the back of my mind and it's actually helped me a lot. He said that relationships teach us lessons that we could learn in no other way so mm-hmm. when you have a breakup with a with a friend which is a breakup like any other one you have to look at that relationship and almost say it's a blessing because whatever you've learned from that you could not have learned in any other way and and i take comfort in those in that thought i do too i think that's a brilliant way of saying it and i i truly believe that we our
1: growth is dependent on being in relationship. We grow through community. And so if we isolate, which, which is what can happen to us, if we've been in a deadly friendship or a deadly relationship, we can just make all these vows and say, well, all people are terrible and I don't ever want to be hurt again. So I'm, not, I'm going to cut myself off from human beings. And that works in the short term. You won't be hurt, mm-hmm. but you won't grow either because we grow through community and through relationship.
3: When we're in these relationships and we're repeating these types of mistakes and we're attracting the same type of people, I know for myself, I often look at the person in the way I want the relationship to be and not necessarily in the way it actually is. For example, before I got divorced, I remembered my husband, how he was, or how I thought he was, and not how he Mm -hmm. really was. So how do you believe we can tell when it's time to walk away from a relationship, when there's nothing else that you can really do except distance yourself?
1: Right. And those um, in the book tend to be the Narcissist Nolans and the Predator pages, because Mm -hmm. they the hardest, more abusive type relationships. And one of the things I would say is we must look at actions and not be persuaded by words, because people who are off in that way often are very good at convincing us with their words that they'll do better, or we're crazy, we didn't see it that way. So we have to look at what are they actually doing. um, and And as objectively as possible. And in terms of separating from them um, it's okay to separate from people who are um, damaging to us because we too are allowed protection.
3: Mary what about um, we're talking about friendships and relationships but what about when the the deadly person is part of your family and it's very difficult to disconnect how can we self-protect?
1: Well, there's some great books out there, Changes that Heal by Cloud and Townsend and Boundaries, and those have been really helpful to me in creating healthy boundaries around myself, even to people in my own family. And to be honest, I really feared it. Um, I thought it was being mean, and so it took me a long time to finally enact some boundaries that were for my health and really for the greatness of the relationship because I realized that if I continue to engage in that relationship on a heart level, I was going to be destroyed. And um, I there would be no hope for reconciliation because my heart would be so damaged. And so actually creating a boundary is a positive thing because you're saying, I love you enough to heal so that perhaps there could be reconciliation in the future. But I also love you enough to want you to be your best self, and you damaging me is not your best self. So I'm going to separate, and so we can create those kind of boundaries even with our family. And and I can honestly say that in one of my difficult relationships where I enacted very severe boundaries for several years, um, that relationship has come back to me, and um, I don't think that always happens, and it's not a promise. But um, those boundaries did not ultimately harm the relationship. In fact it allowed for a pathway to reconciliation.
3: We now know that there are relationships that don't necessarily serve us well. How can we discover the type of toxic relationship that we might be in? Well, um,
1: folks can go to 7deadlyfriendships.com and they can take a quiz that will help them determine what type of person they're dealing with. And as I said earlier in the broadcast, um, the ones that we tend to want to walk away from are the predators and the narcissists, but it's also really good intel to find out, oh, wow, that person is really dramatic. Maybe that will help me in knowing that and how to love them and how to work through our issues together.
3: Mary, thank you so much for being here. It's not always easy to have and be a friend, but it is truly a rewarding experience. So thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Thanks so much. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
6: When it comes to social media, have you planned to plan to make a plan? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Why do we put off planning? Do we think the magical brownies are going to come and do a social media plan for us? If so, those brownies are so slacking. Planning involves content creation, timing, and posting, and then seeing how it interacts with your business. I highly recommend using a piece of paper or hop on your computer and just write out all the ideas you have for social media that are in your head walk away then come back and write some more don't worry about what you've just written don't worry if it's a brain dump just get the ideas on paper and get started that's what's important once you've got everything down that you had in your head see if common themes start to pop up maybe you like motivational quotes maybe you like to give advice maybe you want to teach or share your knowledge maybe you like to share jokes these are all good starts Then get out a calendar and start to put those down in an order. See how it lays out and if it seems to make sense to you. And don't forget to plan to talk about your business. If you need help with your social media for your business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Get social with Sue.
7: Do you suffer from ingrown toenails? Hi, I am Dr. Anant Joshi, podiatrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Ingrown toenails occur when the toenail starts to grow into the nail groove. This can cause significant pain and discomfort. They may become infected if left untreated. Wearing badly fitting shoes usually causes ingrown toenails. The pressure from the shoes that are too narrow at the top or too tight from the side can put extra pressure on the toenails. Other causes that include toenails that are not trimmed properly, such as cutting the toenails too short or trauma to the feet due to activity including running. Having a family history of ingrown toenails can also increase a person's risk. There are several ways to treat and prevent ingrown toenails. Cutting the toenails straight across after a bath when the nails are soft. Avoid cutting the nails in a rounded pattern as it can increase the risk of inward growth. Wearing proper fitting shoes that do not have a pointy tip will prevent worsening of your ingrown toenail. If at-home care does not improve the condition, or if your toe becomes swollen, red, or painful, please visit a podiatrist who can provide the proper care, or even antibiotics. If you would like more information, or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com.
8: You have probably heard the words life coach before but have you ever wondered what a life coach actually does hi i'm jessica l conrad i'm a certified life coach and a member of the icf new jersey i help women at a crossroads in life find clarity and direction i also work with women who are dealing with infertility and reproductive disorders here's a list of some of the things a life coach can help you with identifies what we want Provides the tools and resources to help plan for the future. Acts as a guide to fulfill goals and dreams. Helps us powerfully reflect on what we learn about ourselves. Restores a sense of control in what feels like an uncontrollable world. Helps create and continue a positive cycle as we move into new ways of being and bringing on new results in our lives. To learn more or to book a free call, please visit my website at jessicalconrad.com or please follow me on Facebook at Jessica L. Conrad Life Coach.
3: In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site. New shows drop every Monday. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. Want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining us today to talk about healthcare decisions and your wishes is Lori Gardner, a registered nurse, patient advocate, and board certified health and wellness coach. Lori assists people with all aspects of their health care. Welcome, Lori. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Joan. So Laurie, why is it so important to let people know about your medical wishes?
2: Well, Joan, without making your end of life wishes known to a loved one, a partner, or friend, you could be in a situation where critical life support decisions need to be made, and there isn't anyone that knows how to make them. As a result, it puts extreme pressure on your next of kin or family to try and make these difficult decisions. But by doing this advanced care planning, you kind of maintain control of your wishes, or at least identify them, gain some peace of mind, and ensure that your wishes are honored. I actually have seen patients on ventilators with no quality of life and no chance of recovery For longer than seemed necessary because their wishes were not known there's so many tools that people can use really to make their wishes known but it's sometimes hard to have that conversation you know with a loved one and there's this uh, excellent uh, website called uh, theconversationproject.org they actually help family members Set up the environment, set up the words to use on how to have that difficult conversation. Some people find it very difficult. There's also a website I highly recommend, and we utilize a lot, called Aging with Dignity. And on that website, agingwithdignity.org, they have a booklet called Five Wishes. It's beautiful. You can actually go through that and, and follow the prompts and fill out a booklet that defines your wishes give it to your loved one. It's pretty um, straightforward. But I always say to people, it's not a subject we all like to address, right? I want to talk about my death and end of life wishes. But I always say you do it now, and you have a little more freedom. You don't have to worry about it.
3: Laurie, what documents should every person have? And can you briefly explain each? Absolutely, Joan. First one I would talk about is
2: the advanced directive, also known as the living will. This is where you can be very specific about what your end of life wishes are. And you can use that five wishes uh, product I just mentioned to do that then there's the healthcare power of attorney healthcare proxy this is a person you choose to discuss your end-of-life wishes with and your chosen quality of life in circumstances that are at end of life this person makes the medical decisions for you when you can't take some time and counsel choosing this person it's not always a family member it should be someone you think has the strength and integrity to follow through with your wishes there's also the durable power of attorney this is a person that's designated to act on your behalf regarding financial matters if you become incapacitated there is a difference between a general poa power of attorney and a durable power of attorney and that is the general one is effective until somebody's incapacitated while the durable power of attorney continues to death very important distinction uh pulse stands for the um Physicians order for life-sustaining treatment, also a very important uh, document as you get older. This is frequently placed on somebody's refrigerator. Um, it's done in, in coordination and in collaboration with your physician and they write up what your end of life um, wishes are and orders and they put them in place, the physician signs it. It's usually kept on your refrigerator because it allows an EMT and in the event of an emergency that they come into the house and nobody's there if they don't see that pulse form they have to do all resuscitative measures if that pulse form is there and it says no heroics or do not resuscitate then they will comply with that that leads right into DNR DNI orders DNRs do not resuscitate resuscitate excuse me which means no CPR cardiac drugs or placement of a breathing tube otherwise called intubation the DNI is do not intubate CPR and cardiac drugs can be used they just can't intubate And then the last one I'll mention is organ donor designation. This is something that some people like to do ahead of time and uh, either decide yes or no that they would donate their organs.
3: Lori, you've been doing this work for some time. How can people make the right decision when their loved ones didn't share their wishes?
2: Yeah, we have uh, experienced this situation oftentimes across the years, Joan. And I would advise that people go back to the family or whoever it is they trust and have this conversation about how they envision their quality of life, the types of care they want, and end of life. As hard as that is, it's important to do. And if you have to be one uh, raising the question with your family, then you just do it. It's just being proactive. And you do that as you also decide on who your health care proxy is. You know, if you need more assistance, there are people out there like the advanced care planning specialists. You could talk to a therapist about how you go about this your feelings even identifying sometimes hard to decide what your wishes are you don't really understand even the medical system so you get somebody there's also people that are in the palliative care world there's a practitioner that could help you make these decisions so i highly recommend if you you can be proactive do it yourself if not get the help you need
3: Lori, thank you so much for joining us if you would like to learn more about Lori and her work or this topic you can visit healthlinkadvocates.com or as always to hear more from Lori, you can visit our website